Good morning. Good morning. Got this slide up, first one. I thought I'd uh, start with a, a story this morning. I, I'm one that likes telling stories, and um, I heard about this guy who, who had got shipwrecked on a, a desert island. He was all alone, and um, he'd been there for years and years, and eventually he started building. and. Um, he built one house and it looked great and he carried on building and he carried on building. And then one day he heard a ship in the distance and he managed to stop the ship and they came and they rescued him. And um, as they loaded him onto the, the boat, they said, oh, that's beautiful building you've got there. And he said, yeah, that's, that's my house. Oh, I built that. And they said, well, what's the building next door? That's, that's really nice as well. He said, oh, that's, that's my church. I built that as well. And they said, well, what's the other building? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> and we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there at times where we think, church doesn't quite work for me. It, it's difficult. Um, things can get tough to work through. Sometimes, especially in, in a smaller church, relationships can get frayed at times and it can make things a bit awkward. Sometimes we want change, we're desperate for change, or others are for going, please don't change, please don't change. Church is my one consistent thing in life, please don't change it, please don't change it. And Paul's concern here, as we're going to look at this next part of Colossians, is for this young church that's surrounded by great opposition, all sorts of pressures from outside and almost a chance to just become another hybrid religion in a society where there's just more and more options. Worship this God, worship this God. Let's just tag Jesus onto that and we'll just worship him as well. And Paul sees himself as like the wise old man, if you like, the pastor that wants to bring clarity, wants to bring assurity, and he wants to bring truth. And there's no doubt that those that had Paul banged up in jail would have known this was a good move for them. That somehow they, like Jesus, if they could stop these Christians, if they could put them in jail, we could somehow stop the movement of the church. But as Paul writes this letter, it has dynamic force beyond human religion. And it's beyond self. It's a letter about deep relationship with God. And Paul is clear right from the outset, this letter is not about him. It's not him who holds the answers. It's the risen Christ, Jesus Christ, who alone is humanity's hope. He alone is humanity's hope. And this next section of Colossians, which um, Hannah's going to come and read for us, gives us a wonderful picture of the body working, of the different indiv individuals working together as one, and why Paul is so sold out for it, why he's so sold out for the body of Christ. 
So if you've got your Bible apps or your Bible there, if you want to turn to Colossians 1, and Hannah, I'll invite you to come up and, and read for us. So if God has chosen to make me known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, advancing and teaching everyone who have all wisdom, so that we may deserve everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and may not allow to see it. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have full riches of complete understanding. No, that's right, carry on. In order to know in order to know that they may but may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. Although I am absent from your body and present with you in spirit, and delight to see how distinct you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Well done. Thank you, Hannah. That was really brave because I know she was nervous. So, well done. Thank you. So, who's up for suffering? <laughs> who's up for suffering? Good. It's funny, it's one of those questions, a bit like I think Sarah said last week, who's holy? It's, it's, you ask it anywhere else and people go, no way, thank you. And in church, like, oh, what should be the godly response to this question? It should I, should I, should I? It's like, I don't want suffering, thank you. I don't want to suffer. But Paul is more than that. He's rejoicing in his suffering. And you think, has this guy lost it? You know, rejoice in your suffering. I mean, I, I've handled some suffering, and I'm, I'm sure many of you have, but often we don't get a choice, do we? It's not that we're brave so much, it's that we, we find ourselves in these situations and we battle through. And often I find my suffering is related to my circumstance, so I, I'm strengthened by the fact that my family or others close to me are going to be affected by the results of that suffering and me getting through that suffering. 
Paul is saying, I am rejoicing in suffering for you in prison and for everyone else who doesn't know me. He doesn't even know these people. And yet he rejoices in suffering for them. He sees in some way his suffering is identifying with what Christ has done for him. In some way continuing the purpose, the mission of Christ on earth. Not to mention they would have known that Paul would have known that while he was in prison, the Colossians weren't. While he was under attack, they weren't. And he rejoiced in that. There's a selfless love in that. But looking deeper, Paul is saying, look, whatever you guys put me through, whatever you do to me, whatever you do to the Colossians, there is nothing you can do that will ever separate me from the love of God. Whatever you do with me will pale into insignificance compared to what Jesus Christ has done for me, for what he suffered for me. Jesus died for that spiritual eternal body. He gave his physical body. And for Paul it's the same. This body is temporal, this human body is temporal. But the church is the body of fellowship of believers. It's a royal priesthood. It was eternal. Which would you rather serve? The eternal or the earthly? Paul says, I contend for you even though he's in chains and he's battling for the church. Don't ever say, God can't use me because. Here is Paul being very effective, and yet in a situation which seems, he has nothing, but in the same way he has everything. And verse 29 of our passage says, I am contending for you. I strenuously contend for you. And verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, how hard I am contending for you and others. I think some of the older versions say, I labor for you or I'm struggling for you. But this word is an athletics word. It, Paul loves using athletic words. And this is a contending for, I am a contender. I've joined a race. I've decided which side I'm on and I am fighting for it. And here we start to see the the distinct contrast between the world's way, the world's focus, and God's way, the way his church focuses. I don't know about you, but my humanness and selfishness loves to make things about me, myself, and I, to quote an old song. And sometimes even, even our worship can even start to focus on me, and I, about how do I feel? How is my relationship with God? And this constant, current thing about feelings all the time rather than assurance. 
How do I feel about this? How does this make me feel? How does that make me feel? And it's that we've lost that sense of community for a sense of I. It's about I. It's about me. It's interesting when you speak to to people about Christianity and they go, if I ever get hold of that Adam and Eve, they go, oh, you know, I wouldn't have done it. They did it. They got it all to blame. And we've lost that sense of them and us all as one body. And I was talking with an older uh, couple the other day about their church, obviously not this one, Um, and they effectively said, it doesn't work for us anymore. They do this now and they do that now and it doesn't kind of work for us anymore. It doesn't really fit us anymore. And, And the house group, well, we've done it all before and we've been there before and... And the music's not quite, you know, it's not quite there at our, and they keep changing this and that. And somewhere along the line, the focus of church had changed on their journey. When I was a, a pastor, I had a, a, a student from Moorlands to mentor, and one of the things they liked to do with us at Moorlands was to send us around various different churches, all very different worship styles and different ways of, of being church. And um, the student relayed to me this, that him and a group of others had been sent to this Russian Orthodox church, and they'd, they'd been there for hours, two, three hours, and they hadn't sat down, and, and the, it was very choral kind of music, very holy and honouring, and but they were sat around a table after drinking coffee and, and they were going, wow, it was good, but it's not really my thing. And they were going, yeah, it's not really my thing either. Just as the priest walked by them and said, whoever told you any of this was for you? Whoever told you any of this was for you? And I love the fact that Paul, when he talks about this message, he loves talking about himself, but he's got this lovely way of boasting in Christ. And he makes it clear, I boast in Christ. And so in this small passage, I I put up a list of Paul's I. I am suffering. I have become a servant. I strenuously contend. I tell you, I speak, I share, I write. I am absent and yet still present. And I delight and rejoice. And I think it's important, I don't want to set Paul up to be Jesus, but you can see Jesus in that, can't you? You can see the gifts of the Spirit within that, the fruit of the Spirit. So we have to ask how and why. Why is he like this? How is he like that? Well, verse 29 says it for us. I contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This isn't super Paul. He isn't some kind of superhuman now become super Christian. This is the outworking of God within him, enabling him to do more. 
And I think sometimes I have this tendency to go, oh, I want the gifts of the Spirit. And, and that can be nice things, you know, like, you know, healing and, and lovely gifts to use in worship. But we often see the gifts used in a different way. We're gifts of action, gifts of battle, gifts of being able to stand in the lion's den, gifts of being able to withstand the furnace. Gifts of being able to walk into places where nothing can walk because of the enemy and you can walk into them because you have the gift and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and bring light into the darkness. Who are the gifts of the Spirit for? For us to do more for the glory of God. And Paul says, I am available, Christ fights for me. I contend for Christ because Christ retends for me. He enables me to contend so powerfully. So the fact that he does so and gives so much means it must be something pretty valuable, something worth giving his all for. And he says it in verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is my all things. Paul celebrates this fact that Christ is for everyone. doesn't matter where you come from. That it, Christ is for everyone. And I challenge you this morning, what's your hope in? It has to be in something. What is your hope in? There is no person now ever created who cannot be touched by the Lord Jesus Christ. And even Paul, the writer, he knew he'd committed awful things. And I know personally I got to the point where I hated God with a passion. I, I worshipped the occult. I would much rather do that any day. And God was just, oh. And it led to near death. A life of nothing, of destruction, of chaos after chaos after chaos. And Paul doesn't want the Colossians to lose sight of what they were before Christ came along and gave them hope. So who is your hope in? Who is your Lord? Who is your direction, your wisdom, your all? It has to be Christ because he is the only hope of glory. Without him, as we heard last week, nothing exists. Everything was created for him, by him, through him. So without him, there is nothing. And the Lord God, the Almighty, the maker of all things, ain't just seated on high looking down, going, hey, you know, you guys get on with it. He has come down and he has defeated death and he personally says to you, I love you. And if you believe in me, and if you give me your life, 
I will restore that hope. I will give you hope. I will give you a purpose. I will give you life that you just never could believe. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I think, in a way, hope is a bit lost in, in our language. And I love, I kind of prefer the translation, expectant, expect. Christ in you, the expectation of glory. I expect it because Jesus Christ said it. But Paul's not writing this about some kind of, well, when we die and we go to glory, we get this and this. No, Paul's writing to a church now and today going, you can have this power, you can have this authority now, today. This isn't for then. It is for then, but it's for now as well. That power, that risen power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive and it's in you. Those that declare my name. And in you as a church. And I was trying to get, trying to, as I was praying about this, trying to get my head around somehow just a, a fraction of this hope that we have. And as I was praying about that, I just suddenly started crying, which, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know why. I just suddenly started crying. These, these things happen. Um, and suddenly I was 17 years old again and I was sat in a doorway of a shop. And it was the doorway I used to sleep in when I was homeless on the streets. And I was cold and I could feel that hunger. And then what I could feel was that utter, utter hopelessness of thinking, I've not spoken to anyone in days. In fact, if I die now, no one's even going to know or care And the thought of a future was just impossible, let alone even the next few days. I was dreading every night, let alone a future. And then suddenly I understood the hope that I had now. God showed me it the other way around. Let me show you the hopelessness you were in so that you can understand the hope you now have. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. And, and sometimes we need to remember back, don't we, to that point where we were like, where we had nothing and God picks us up, God found us. Before we wander off on this track of, well, you know, and we start dictating things. Remember that point when you had nothing and Christ came along and picked you up. How often people say, oh, I have nothing to give to God. I have nothing to give to God. And yet here is Paul in prison with nothing. And yet he's encouraging the churches. He's busy. God's even using what he has. God can use what you have because he is within you, whatever your circumstances. And Paul's aware that he, he hasn't done anything. This is about grace. This isn't about stuff he's done. In fact, he's aware constantly of the things that he hadn't done and, and the um, attacks on the church that he has been involved with. But we have within us Christ within us. 
We can't even get your head around that. Christ within us, the hope of glory, the expectation of glory. And so Paul said, I'm contending not just for you as individuals, but for the body of Christ. I'm a part of his body. Jesus is the head. The very same body that you Colossians are part of, the very same body of the Laodiceans. And so if you can find nothing else with one another that's in common, because sometimes we, you know, we've been put together, we're all an odd bunch, aren't we? We're different from here, there, and everywhere. But we call each other brothers and sisters for a reason, because we have that bloodline in Jesus Christ. You always have that in common. It was, I think, about 15 or so years ago we, we first moved down, down here. And it, a bit like Adam was saying the other week, it was a bit of a shock. We, we come from Southampton, a good place. Um, <laughs> we, we come from Southampton, and it was like, where's the 24-hour garage? What are they? <laughs> yeah, but I was quite excited. As we drove through Melbourne Port, there was a, a, like a brown door, and it had um, we written on, on the door. And I thought, oh, at least they have some technology down here. Little did I know that we was Women's Institute. <laughs> I, I had heard of Women's Institute, but apparently it wasn't a game. <laughs> but... <laughs> This, this seems to be putting up my whole slide, not one point at a time. So, um. Anyway, so we get to verse 28 in this passage, and Paul is all along began, I, 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 and suddenly his language has to change to we, we. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. One person doesn't make a body. And this is the we list. Is that like, yeah. And this is important because Paul can't do this as an I. We can't do this as an eye. We proclaim as a body. We present together as a body. We contend and we move forward together. A bit like many of the words have been. We cross over the Jordan together as one community. And the witness is in that. Imagine the people in Jericho looking out going, well, some are running across and some are running that way and some are... They, they would have been laughable. No, they all cross together. They were a force to contend with. And this is how they're going to avoid the deception of all these other teachings and things going on around them and people trying to convince them. By becoming a we, one body, one saviour, one hope of glory. And these guys haven't been deceived yet by the way Paul's writing but he's well aware of the threat. And he and them need to contend to fight as individuals, but as God's people. And as I was reading this and preparing for this, I, 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 I was aware that there is no coincidence here that 
some of the words that we've been getting as a church about, especially about the net and the having enough and all that, that Paul Pips, the Laodiceans. The church that was told that they were going to be spewed out, that they were lukewarm, that they'd settled, that they'd gone stagnant. The church that thought they were rich. The church that was called to change. And I, let's not get to glory as a church together and God say, sorry, I had floodgates, I had so much to pour out. But you were preoccupied with church stuff. With being this or being that or putting this in place and putting that in place and, and burying your talent. When I wanted you to spend, spend, spend your talents for the body. Why were you, while you were putting your church stuff in order, doing this and doing that, I was weeping over the lost. I was waiting for my body to stand up and contend to reach out over your homes, over your families, over the homeless, for the sick and the broken hearted. That's what I wanted you to contend for. Don't make it about you. A body has to move in unity and full maturity. Paul talks about full maturity. In verse 28, it's, it's amazing. Paul says he wants them to stand together, mature before Christ. And he wants to present them perfect in their relationship with Christ. I thought, wow, that, that's incredible. Am, am I delighted and excited when my brother and sister excels in Christ? I used to love it, except when they did things I did. And then it was a bit more touchy. Oh, you can excel in anything, but not my things. That's a bit threatening. <laughs> Go and find your own gifts to excel in. <laughs> now, it's a pleasure and a joy to see what God is doing amongst us because that blesses God and it blesses God's body. And the whole body, if we're a we, rejoices. Just as if one part of the body hurts or one part of the body sins, it affects the whole body. So if the body's rejoicing, we all rejoice. If, Paul, if, if, if Christ sorry, is really our everything... What do you need? What do you need? It's interesting, the, the use of um, maturity, the um, Gnostics would certainly use that word as those wise ones that had walked the journey, knew they were a select few that had made the special, special creditation. Paul said, I, I'm going to present all of you mature in Christ. Because every disciple has the hope of glory and therefore there is no individual greatness or anything else. You, are, you can all be holy because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything you've done. And this means that as every believer in the room should, I should see myself as the lowest. Lowest. 
In fact, I shouldn't be trying to battle you for the top. I should be trying to battle for you for the lowest. It made me, I, it made me laugh. Our, our kids, when they were a bit younger, they used to say, you two are weird. Like, it's, your kids say these things, don't they? You, t- you two are weird. And you're like, why? They said, well, you argue over the washing up. And it's like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, you're meant to argue over who doesn't want to do it. And you two go, no, I'll do it. No, I'll do it. I'll do it. You're just weird. And, but it's that sense, isn't it, of let me do it for you. Let me serve you. I want to serve you. Not again, not to win brownie points, but because like Jesus got down and, and washed his disciples' feet, he loved them. And he wanted to show them that love. Finally, Paul's goal is that they may be, may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all hidden are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We, we could preach on that verse alone. Um, so yeah, I, as you can see up already behind me, you're probably sick to death of the EU, uh, and, but this is one EU I thought we should all join. The encouraged and united... So every time you hear the EU now, think, am I in the encouraged and the united? The encouraged and the united. But more importantly, am I an encourager and a uniter? Because for us all to be in that, we all need to be that. Or am I a destroyer? Am I tend to be the critic? And that's not to say we all, we all have things that need sorting. That's not to say we can't bring stuff and debate stuff. It's just what is our heart in doing it? Is it all about I or is it about we as a body and about him? And I guess I think I was struck by it. If it's all about I and it's all about him and it's all about we, then... What about me? What about me? We're all human. We all need to be loved. We all need to belong and supported. And yet, in a way, that's the very point, because if we belong to a body that serves one another, supports one another, looks out for one another, I don't just get supported by one or two friends. I get supported by everyone. And you get supported by everyone. It's that knock-on effect. A place where he is central and we all seek to serve each other. The encouraged and the united place. And I'll just finish with that question at at the bottom here. What is your role here? Why are you in this body? Not just this building, this church. Why are you in this body? Do you know why you're in this body? And are you contending for it? Are you fighting for it? Do you know that hope of glory? Am I encouraged and united? Am I an encourager and a uniter?
And we'll leave it there. And we're just going to um, spend some time in prayer. Perhaps you could just spend a minute before the Lord and go, Lord, what, what is my role here? going to ask you to stand if you can if you're able I'm just going to pray there's certainly those here who feel that they don't feel that hope they don't feel that fullness they don't they kind of have heard of Jesus but they don't know Jesus and they want to um so as I pray, I'd invite you to come out, literally come down the front. We've got prayer team. I'm assuming we've got prayer team around. Perhaps a couple of prayer team could, could come out. Um, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray through a number of things. And as you feel led, just come out. But remember, you are in a body that encourages and builds and the enemy loves to go to you, don't you go, don't you go, man, you're going to die of embarrassment if you go out there. And the Lord's going, no, I want to bless you, I want to do this for you, I want to do that for you. So Lord Jesus, Father God, we just, we know you are in this place. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just come, come and convict Lord, those who don't know you, Father, I just pray that you would touch them now. That they would know that it is them. Lord, that you would give them the courage to just come forward and receive you. And Father, those that are feeling that this, this church has just become too hard, church has become too hard for them, that they feel broken. They don't feel alive anymore. Lord, oh Lord, restore them. If that's you, then I'd encourage you to come forward and be prayed for. Make that declaration of faith that you are choosing to stand on the living God, that you are choosing Jesus. And there's someone in particular who feels almost angry at my words. It's almost like they, they want me to stop talking because they, they, they almost want to hang on to this anger that, that is so deep inside against someone else. Um, and God will deal with that. God will do, deal with that if you give it to him. God will deal with that now if you give it to him. 
You see, we stand here before and the Holy Spirit is here amongst us and he always says, stop asking for things and come and receive them. Contend for them. Ask for them. And I will do them. What do you want of the Lord this morning?